0: For WOSU Public Media, this is Small Joys. I'm Hanif Abdurraqib. For this episode, my guest is Saeed Jones. Saeed is a poet and writer who grew up in Texas. His 2014 poetry collection, Prelude to a Bruise, won the Penn Joyce Osterweil Award for Poetry and was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. His memoir, how We Fight for Our Lives, which tells his story of growing up black, southern, and gay, won the Kirkus Prize for nonfiction in 2019. Said lived in New York for many years and worked as an editor for BuzzFeed, but he moved to Columbus in the fall of 2019 and settled in the city's short north neighborhood. I first saw Saeed during an event at Pride in maybe 2015, When he came to columbus to read from prelude to a bruise and i mostly remember just it was a very hot day and it was in the middle of the day in the festival at that point was just kind of sprawling through goodell park and saeed was reading in the gazebo and the poems were so immersive and rich and captivating that people were just kind of not only glued to him but magnetized towards him kind of coming from all corners of the festival's otherwise sprawl. And that, I think, is something I really value about Saeed's work, is how it draws people in no matter where they are, what they're hearing, what else is going on around them. He's such a magnetic person and a magnetic writer and a magnetic performer of that writing. I began our conversation by asking Saeed what he was looking forward to exploring in this new city as we head into summer, which is a little bit more robust, hopefully, than the summer we got last year.
1: I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, it's just so beautiful. I am I tweeted about this other day, but I'm like, just like you, I'm taking pictures of trees. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, I keep noticing like how blue the sky can be on a clear day. Um, and, you know, it just feels like with the weather getting nicer, there are so many more things you can do. Right? And, and I think part of what made the winter in particular so difficult was just that, you know, in terms of like having safe kind of options to get out of the home, there's just not a lot you can do, you know? So no. yeah. I just feel everything feels like newly possible again, which I feel like is a summer thing.
0: I want to talk about trees in a second, but I, I do want to talk about how, how you survive the winter. This winter mm. for me, um, was the worst kind of winter, not just because of the pandemic, but because it was so, I think, backloaded with snow. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had to shovel. I know you don't have to shovel, but I had to right. shovel like oh twice my a day sometimes. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm wondering how you, how you got through winter, particularly living alone.
1: Yeah, it was it was hard. I mean, for all the reasons you said, I think we I think people knew. Right. We we all had a pretty robust conversation about, like, the dread we all had going into winter. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was turns out it, we were right. It was it was as bad as we thought it was going to be. I mean, it, I start I have video games like I have a PlayStation 4 that I, I love, but I like I'll. I'll forget that I have it, if that makes sense. So there was just like a moment I feel like in late December where I looked up and I saw that device sitting on the other side of the room and I was like, oh, right, I could be playing video games. Um, So I just really got into playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and I would play it seemingly several hours a day. And it's it really has, you know, rich storytelling. It's beautiful. You know, you you, you can make decisions that uh, um, impact the story. There there are parts of it that felt like Game of Thrones, like that kind of like epic prestige drama, you know. And so I think for me, because during the winter it was still very difficult for me to read books, um, that was a way for me to kind of step into a story and just immerse myself in it and not constantly be looking out the window (laughs) and being so sad about it.
0: I would. I did not know you were a video game player. Are, is this a new thing? Were <laughs> you? Were you, um, you like? Or have you always been into video games?
1: No. So when I was a teenager, um, I would watch my friends play video games. I didn't have a video game console at home, um, and I also just think. I think as a boy, I think I thought uh, I wasn't masculine enough. Weirdly, I associated it with masculinity, which now feels Mm. silly. But as a boy, I just thought it was something like basically the straight boys that I kind of had crushes on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would like go and sit and watch them play Mortal Kombat. I loved it. Um, But like, I guess three or four years ago, I decided to get a PlayStation 4. um, And I like, what was the first game I got? God of War. Like, I like games that are like, I don't want guns. I don't want guns. I don't like anything that's um, militaristic, really. I like fantasy and magic. If there are witches and, you know, quests that come up, like, that's my thing. And, uh, yeah, so but I, I forget. So I'll, I'll get really intensely into a game, and I'll play it kind of like I'm reading a book. And then as I finish the game, I'm incredibly sad. Um, and then I won't play again for, like, months until I, you know, stumble across some other game that is perfect. This is incredible. I did not know
0: this and I too um am a video game player, although it's weird because through the pandemic I feel like I've become less immersed in the video game worlds because the game I was playing uh was The Last of Us Two, which Oh is Wow. Maybe like too intense for a pandemic because it's yeah. uh, you know, it's about, it's like a post apocalyptic world wow. ravaged by mm-hmm. disease. Mm-hmm. Uh and I I mean, I love the first Last of Us so much. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And I, I got the sequel and was very excited. And then I started playing it. And I was like, oh, this is too, this is too much.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's, I see that. I mean, it's funny when the last time I had a roommate was probably... Uh, up to what 2014 and my roommate then was a he's a big gamer and he played the last of us and it became like appointment tv like he knew yeah. that he couldn't play it until i was home like because i wouldn't i was like let's make popcorn i'm going to watch it with you it's so beautiful i think of ellie often but when <laughs> i heard the last of us 2 was coming out i was like oh no like <laughs> there's just no way <laughs>
0: So I also I think as I get older and my constitution becomes more sensitive, even more sensitive, mm-hmm. I too I just I struggle to do games with perhaps up close violence is the problem, oh, okay. Um, where it's like, and I think I will just trudge forward and and play The Last of Us and be fine with it because I also love Assassin's Creed a great deal, mm-hmm. um, but playing The Last of it is playing The Last of Us too. I was like, oh, that's right. I've got to like really get up close to the violence that's taking mm-hmm. place and watch it unfold in a very up close way. And I think my brain just wasn't ready for that last year. Right. Um, yeah. You know, when I was still, the pandemic hadn't, it had maybe sunk in too heavy to the point where I think I've moved through phases of, this is the worst and the, the grief I feel is immovable to, mm-hmm. oh, the grief is actually a little bit movable and I can move it over here just a bit to get just something else better.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it feels like when I think of pop culture as someone who, like, I think like you, you know, we listen to music, we watch movies, TV shows, video games, for a lot of reasons, but part of that is to kind of, you know, make it through life. And um, I think over the course of the pandemic, I, I became conscious of, I don't know, things that felt too grounded, a little too realistic. And I would say even The Last of Us 2, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's this apocalyptic dystopia, zombies or whatever, but it's still set in the real world. Like, you're yeah. you're still going through, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, an abandoned hospital or something at some point. You know, I just find that I, I'm getting... it's, And I hear what you're saying. Like, maybe now it's getting a little easier for me to step into that kind of entertainment. But over the course of the last year, it's just like anything that's been too close to the real world... Um, even biopics, <laughs> um, which have been a lot of the, like, you know, kind of critically acclaimed movies, um, have been difficult for me to watch because I think, you know, just for the last year in particular, like, you know, just a lot has been demanded of us in terms of, like, I think our, the way we think and the way we emotionally experience what's going on, right? And I just, when I want to play a video game, I'm like, yeah, let let us go to Asgard, please. You know what I mean? Right. Like, don't don't take me to New York.
0: I love this and have been thinking a lot about um, re entries into the world, even though, mm. to be clear, of course, um, who knows what the world will be like when people hear this, but as of right now <laughs> in early May, the pandemic is still very much not over. And, mm-hmm. um, it feels like it serves us to reconsider what over even means yep. uh yep. in the concept of of a global pandemic mm-hmm. but it does feel like there's some some small comfortable reentries um into the world that that i feel like i've partaken in i was just lamenting the fact that it's um a little chillier than i'd hoped today and so my my big monday walk will be a little bit colder than i anticipated but how are you kind of finding your way back into the world comfortably if you are
1: Right. I mean, um, and you're right. I mean, words like over and normal uh, have really been exposed for the shams that they are (laughs) by these circumstances, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But I mean, you know, um, two of my best friends who both live in New York were able to get on a plane safely, you know, after being vaccinated and come visit me. And, And they were here for a week. Um, and I was, you know, of course it, it means everything to be able to see your friends. Um, and I just, I miss them so much, but also a joy that I hadn't like really wrapped my mind around as something that I was looking forward to was, you know, um, being able to introduce them to my other friends in a safe way. Right. Because I I moved to Columbus, you know, um, fall of 2019 and then I had a book come out. And so I was traveling really kind of. Right up until the beginning of the pandemic, basically, I was on the road almost constantly. So right in you know February, March 2020, when I might go, oh, maybe my friends should come visit. Maybe I'll go see them. Suddenly we couldn't access one another. And so um, it was such a joy both for them to be able to come visit, but also to be able to see the Columbus that I have fallen in love with, and they hear me obviously talk about all the time. But for me to be like, let me take you to this place. Let me introduce you to this person who has helped me make a home here. Um, It just made me so happy. I think there's something really special, not just about your direct friendships, but when you're able to introduce people who mean a lot to you in different ways to each other, and you begin to see them connect and identify like why we are all in each other's life. It's just really beautiful, but just something I, I hadn't let myself think about.
0: And, you know, the one thing that I think it's taken, that I have taken for granted, uh, particularly because I just live with my dog, which we're going to talk about our dogs in a second. Absolutely. um, (laughs) Is, is just the ability to, to touch without anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. or to embrace without anxiety, right. um, particularly because for so long I just hadn't. I didn't hug anyone. I didn't see anyone oh. I wanted to hug. And when I saw my friends, we would kind of do the thing where we would go to hug and then think, oh, maybe not. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we'd meet in the park and then when we parted ways, it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't hug, and we went our mm-hmm. separate ways. And I, I do think um, often about how that lack of touch has rewired our brains in some ways. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself anxious about hugging or sprinting into the potential for embrace
1: i don't think i've ever been that much of a hugger there was a point i thought i was and then i realized i was like actually no i'm not so it hasn't really been a source of anxiety for me i think what i am hearing and what you're saying is like the realizing when you can stop worrying about things like i realized like for me during the pandemic when i would see you know, a friend, you meet in the park or, you know, you go for a walk down the street. Um, After being alone for so long, it just felt like I couldn't stop talking. Like words were just like racing out of my mouth before I could even catch my next breath because there was such a, um, you know, an honest desperation for contact. Um, And now it feels nice that I feel like things don't feel so loaded. Like seeing people already, it doesn't have the, um, Such high stakes of like, I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again, which is how I felt before. And so I think that's kind of been on my mind more. Like it's easier for me to sit in silence with a friend now, Um, whereas I think initially um, it was just this really frantic and kind of emotional outpouring because things felt, I don't know, not life or death. I mean, well, that was certainly a part of it. But, um, you know, we never knew what was around the corner. We still don't right? Um, and so it just made even casual encounters high stakes in a way that like, I, I do not want to have to live with that kind of intensity every day.
0: Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, I, I do find myself um, attempting to scale myself back a bit. Um, because being in the world, even though I spent so much time During the pandemic like talking to people in Mm -hmm. things like this through zoom and interviewing people whatnot it's Mm -hmm. different in person where you see someone and you can see the reaction on someone's face to what you're saying and Mm -hmm. it makes it made me just kind of want to keep sprinting to these emotional conclusions uh that i don't think we're serving anyone but it was you know
1: sound taking up space between me and someone i cared about right yeah, I mean, we were scared. I mean, I, I really think that's what it was, right? It was yeah. it was a lot of um, hurt and, and fear-driven and grief-driven communication, right? So it, it's a kind of panic, you know? And I think you're right. Like, though I'm not, um, you know, I, I wasn't always, like, thinking, like, I need to hug this person. I miss touching this person. I did feel this way, this, this deep need to use words to try to have that intimacy. And... Um, it's exhausting, you know what I mean? It was like you, you would, you know, finish your walk and then you go home and I remember I would just kind of like lay out on the couch because I was like, what just happened? You know, it was, it was so intense and um, I think, you know, one of the joys and something that I now feel more self-aware of about friendship and just the people in our lives is that, you know, when you're really close to someone, you know, you can just vibe. You can just sit there and And trust that they get you and you get them. You know, you're not constantly, I think, trying to prove how you feel to one another. And um, I think the pandemic and and technology and Zooms, you know, kind of created this circumstance where we had to be um, pretty explicit (laughs) about our feelings and what we were going through. And in some ways that was nice, but it just started to feel unsustainable. And so I just feel like a lot of, Stress associated with that is starting to ease away as as things are getting a little bit more um, uh, sustainable day to day.
0: I'm excited to talk about dogs, <laughs> and um, because I think there you know there's one thing to to own a dog, but to have a dog who has undoubtedly only seen you or mostly you for right. months uh, <laughs> over a year changes uh-huh. that relationship. So sure tell does. tell tell everyone about about your dog. First, tell everyone just generally how you got your dog. Yep. The story, your your dog story.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I, I love this. Um, I, I grew up with a childhood dog. I've always loved dogs. I've always been that person. And, you know, when I've seen you, if, if Wendy is around, I kind of can't not pay attention to Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I've always had that energy. But, you know, the time and place to be a pet owner, you have to be ready. And, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Late March last year, and I was obviously thinking about how much things had changed, and uh, I, I knew, I knew that I was ready to have a pet, that I could take care of a pet, um, but that also that I, I needed it. I, I realized that I was like, I need to take care. Of of someone or something. Like, like I just felt like it was I was getting to a place where I was very in my head. Um and I just think having a pet or having someone in your space, like you mentioned before, is grounding, you know, when you're going through a lot of change. And um and so I applied to adopt this very cute. Um he was four years old when I adopted him. He's half Dosh Hound and half uh Chihuahua named Caesar. Um and I, I just, I remember seeing his picture on the website and I don't even think I read the profile even. Ver- I just felt love sick. <laughs> mm. Like, you I'm, I'm always kind of like this when I, it, it's a, you know, it's my relationship to vulnerability and change. But so often when you have those moments of like deep connection, my first thought is literally, oh no. <laughs> and so I remember seeing his picture and I was like, oh no, because I was like, if I don't bring this dog home. I don't know what I'm going to do. I was like, that's my dog. I don't know why he's out there. I don't know what he's doing in the wilds of uh, Ohio. But like, that's my baby. And I've got to bring him back, not even adopt him. I've got to bring him back. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I think you felt the same way. <laughs> like, I, you know, I adopted him, I brought him home. And, you know, uh, Dogs that have, you know, been with foster families and come from shelters, it, it definitely takes time for them to adjust and, you know, to get a sense of rhythm and comfort. But we just fell into each other so easily. It was strange. Um, but it's one of those things. And I wonder if you felt this way with Wendy, but um, very quickly, it was hard to remember that he had not always been a part of my life, you know, right. just, yeah. just the way that, you know, when you have a pet, they become you know, one of the organizing principles of your day, of your rhythms, you know what I mean? They're your partner, your your little buddy. Um, And yeah, I just, uh, I love him so much.
0: (laughs) Is there a way that you've seen your relationship change with the dog since the the pandemic kind of uh, carried on and on and on? I I ask this because I think Wendy has become weirdly less anxious and more comfortable because so much of what she needed was stability mm. and to her you know she doesn't know what's going on in the outside world it's just kind of like oh my person is here all the time right and like if my person is never leaving now and it's always <laughs> kind of we always get to hover around each other and that's great right
1: yeah i mean you know caesar's certainly an anxious dog and, and it's funny to see how our anxieties kind of reflect and mirror one another um that's been an interesting uh you know journey to go on um i guess i remember in late winter as people started talking about the vaccines and 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 what the the timeline might look like you know because earlier on i was like i'm not even thinking about this at all right and then all of a sudden it was like oh no i might be able to get vaccinated in the spring which is what happened um i realized that i was going to have to do work with Caesar and for Caesar to prepare him for me not to be home all the time. And um, so it it was actually still very, very cold. And I was still miserable because it was like February. I started forcing myself to leave the apartment, even if it was just like a five minute walk around the block, um, just to find some reason to step out of the home without him. Because I I realized that um, whenever I would go on a grocery store run, it, it would really freak him out. Um, and so, yeah, it's been something we've had to kind of work on together of him kind of just developing an understanding that sometimes Saeed leaves, but he's always going to come back home. And um, he's taken to it. I think I think, once I realized that it was just something I needed to put effort in and be thoughtful about, um, I think it got better for both of us. I feel like and, – and I wonder if you've noticed this with Wendy. I just feel like so often – when I'm anxious about something with Caesar, if I'm scared about leaving him, I think he picks up on my anxiety. I think he feels mm. that those nerves. And then he's like, well, I'm freaking out because you're freaking out, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so in a way, it was like, I'm leaving for you, Caesar, to help you get used to it. And I think actually it was like, I'm leaving so I can be used to not being at home with him all the time.
0: Right, yeah. I, well, I, yeah, I do think that our our energy absolutely transfers. I mean, it's like any other relationship, right? Mm. Dogs are intuitive, and dogs are, I think, very aware of the circumstances of the the ecosystem they're in. Mm -hmm. And much like much like any, I mean, honestly, dogs are at least Wendy is probably more intuitive than some of the people that I know know, when it comes to (laughs) being aware of of Mm -hmm. how I'm feeling and what I'm feeling and the necessity for emotional complexity and so yeah i mean i i do think that she is sometimes made more anxious by my anxiety and has proven to be made more calm uh mm. by my level of calm uh, right. sometimes but i do like this idea of leaving um as it's somewhat of a, a training tool
1: you yeah. know yeah i mean it, it felt it's funny um you know, when I first brought him home, I mean he you know, he's been my hero. I I I think in some ways adopting Caesar might have saved my life. I was I really struggle with depression and anxiety and um you know the the forced isolation was very important, but also very difficult for me. That, that, that was not something that I am built to sustain as a person. And and so having in my life, I feel like those first six months in particular, I was just, I was like overwhelmed with gratitude and I loved him and was so dependent on him. And, you know, that's great. Um, but now I think I kind of feel a little bit more like as I've calmed down, you know what I mean? As I'm kind of getting a sense of rhythm and, you know, I'm going, okay, I'm going to the, you know, WSU to like record podcast I'll be back you know it's beginning to feel um, like he's my roommate (laughs) which I think is a little bit more sustainable (laughs) yeah how did you transfer
0: that how did you transfer from isolation as a type of treacherous Hmm. entity to isolation as something uh, you have found if not comfort in some kind of calm in
1: I mean that is a beautiful question and I think it was different answers at different times. Um, I think one thing that was very essential for me is that in uh, January I started actively looking for, and I found, and I'm so grateful, a wonderful therapist. Ooh, um, yeah. yeah, I've I've had you know great therapists in the past, but then you know I moved here, new city, and I was like, oh, I'll get around to it. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, I'm fine. You know, we're cool. And then all hell broke loose. And wow, looking for a therapist last winter, it was incredible. I mean, it just really exposed deep need. Everyone was like, literally our waiting list is like six months long. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it oh, was yeah. it was wild. Um, but I found this therapist and I just started talking about it to him. And I think I thought I understood how much isolation was impacting me and how much I was struggling. Um, but it was way worse than I realized, honestly. And so I think... It was having these conversations with a very compassionate, informed person who clearly is obviously supporting other clients going through this too, right? And just to have someone go, yeah, this is really hard. Like we we need to come up with some strategies because no, this this isn't a situation that you can just simply kind of grit your teeth and endure like the way you've been doing. And so I think that was the key to me being able to change the terms of how... I was living through, you know, social isolation. And then I noticed, interestingly, the art, the creativity started to flow back into the space. My home started feeling um, like a font again, you know? Um, And, 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 and it makes sense, right? Just like we're talking about like our dogs, you know, are kind of picking up and attuned to whatever we're going through. I believe that's true for our personal spaces as well. Um, but to me, I just see a clear connection to when I, Found this wonderful therapist and started kind of doing that work and just talking about what I was going through. Um, very quickly, it became easier to start writing again. I started making art again because I've been getting back into doing collages for the first time in years. It's something I love and I haven't done in a very long time. And so now I have markers and and magazine clippings, you know, all over the place. And I'm writing poems, you know, um, much more frequently than I have even in the last couple of years. Um, But I think it really started with me having to acknowledge that it was horrible at first. And I think I was afraid to just say that, but it felt like the moment I did, um, it felt like the air started to flow back into the room.
0: This is great because I think a major roadblock, and, and, and to even think outside of the pandemic, I, I think mm-hmm. a major roadblock for me and for so many people I know is that admitting, is saying, mm-hmm. okay, this is maybe like, I am not imagining how terrible this is, you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. and I am maybe allowed to have some difficulties coping, mm-hmm. which I think is where my struggle point often has been is, um, convincing myself that, that the difficulties of coping with something are, are, are valid and, and right. not that, you know, I, I, I do feel like so much of my impulse is, is kind of prideful and foolish and, revolving around just like putting one's head down and figuring it out but but also you know there's some things that run counter to this because i am a big fan of therapy love mm-hmm. therapy so much love it uh therapy is the best it is um, i really wish that everyone you know i wish it was accessible to oh absolutely everyone mm-hmm. i want to i want to talk about trees okay. um <laughs> yes because well, i I'm a, I'm a big fan of you know it's interesting i lived i lived in connecticut for a couple of years and mm-hmm. and There is something really unique about the foliage in the Northeast that is not necessarily the same in the Midwest. But when I moved back, I just had an appreciation for trees. I knew what to look for. I knew Mm -hmm. what kind of trees excited and moved me. All these things. Um, In the fall, I mean, you know, I I love the fall. But I also just love watching the trees kind of come back to life. Right. uh, Which is kind of where they're at right now. Do you have a favorite stretch of trees? Like, where are you going to look at trees or are you just kind of looking up and seeing them everywhere excitedly?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely kind of constantly and spontaneously being struck in awe with, like, a random tree across the street or something. Um, For me, I mean, and it's part of it's, um, you know, having Caesar and having this lovely dog for a year, and so we go on walks, and so that immediately changed my relationship to the environment, you know, because he's small. We can't walk very quickly. (laughs) Right. So I got used to kind of like looking around. And yeah, it's funny. Um, I think when I've in the past thought about trees and their beauty. Yeah, it's it's been about fall. It's been about that, that burst of vibrant colors. Um, but this year, yeah, for me, it was watching. I was like, oh, my gosh, they have buds. They have buds, you know, or, you know, some of the trees are flowering. And then, you know, really like in the last month, um, there's some trees kind of around the corner from my apartment the street that I tend to walk Caesar down the most, and so I, I know the most, um, there was just a moment where I actually genuinely just got emotional because the leaves had come out so full, so fast it seemed. It almost seemed like it had, had happened overnight. Um, and there was just something about that abundance, that fullness, um, that green, you know, and yeah. uh, and the way they sound that I, I wasn't ready. I thought I was ready. I wasn't ready for how beautiful it was. <laughs> It is
0: alarming. I mean, I, you know, I I I take a walk to Franklin Park every now and then. Mm. Um because I live close enough to it to walk to it and I walk around it and I've gotten to see the trees kind of fighting back to life, which mm-hmm. is uh just a real exciting thing for me. Mm-hmm. Because I think that I can get too cynical if I'm inside too long and not mm. having at least some kind of up close relationship with the beauty of the world and the city in particular. Right. And I am wondering if there is now that you've been here for a stretch, I mean you've been here mm-hmm. for a bit, um, is there is there are there corners of the city that have become more beautiful to you? Are you looking upon the city with with newfound love and complication? Because of course, um, you know the city is is richly complicated as well. Uh, how has your how has your relationship with being present here changed?
1: Sure. Um, oh, it, it's it's deepened. It's become richer and it's become more complicated. Um, so, you know, I live in the short north, um, and which is kind of two neighborhoods, the Italian village and the Victorian village, Um, you know, now that I have places to go (laughs) more often and I'm actually able to meet people at places, you know, I'm, I'm walking. Um, More and, you know, kind of going down side streets and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I'm struck. I mean, everyone's gardens and, like, it's peony season right now. And peonies are my favorite flower. They've always been. They're so dramatic and unapologetic. And, oh, my goodness. So, you know, um, just kind of going on those walks um, and kind of turning the corner and being like, oh, I haven't been on the street in, like, a long time. And seeing, like, nature's insistence you know, nature's confidence. um, I do find very moving as someone who, for the last year, I have just felt and been, frankly, flimsy. You know, I I have not always been, you know, as tough or as fierce as I thought I was or would like to be. And then here are these trees and these plants that are like, oh, no, we're going to continue to do what we do. And I find that very beautiful. Um, But also in the last year, I love my neighborhood. It's so beautiful. Um, it's fun. It has a lot of energy. It has a um, a queer history, which is important to me. It's I, I've always wanted. It's always important for me, basically, to live in as close proximity to queer people as I can. Frankly, um, but also, you know, watching gentrification get gentrified is wild. Yeah. I, I walked past. Um, there's a new uh, like restaurant, fancy apartment building, or whatever. Um, a few, a few blocks from me and I walked past it the other day and, and Hanif, they had a red carpet and spotlights and a whole little step-in repeat, you know, like like it was the Oscars set up what? on the side. Yes, on High Street. I was like, who? <laughs> <laughs> For like a bar, it's like a bar and I think it's like a steakhouse that is open. I was literally just three blocks from my apartment and I was like, what is going on, you know? And, and so thinking about that and, and the relationship to... This neighborhood and this city and um, thinking about, like, police brutality and how police brutality often makes that kind of gentrification possible, I think, um, that's been complicated, you know? It's like, I love my neighborhood. It brings me joy. But also I've been thinking about, like, what are the systems and and functions that have made this place possible in this way that I'm experiencing it, you know? And so I guess... You know, I think when you love any person, you have to get past the honeymoon.
0: Yeah. It's impossible to only love. I mean, I or at least I don't think it's impossible, but I I think to love with complication feels like mm-hmm. real, viable, sustained love. Yes. You know? Um, and to love without complication and without depth, I think we set ourselves up for failure, if that's where we're if that's our starting and ending point.
1: Absolutely, because it's it's not without that depth without that nuance that you're talking about I don't even know if it's love it's it's like it's right. adoration it's enthusiasm it's it's romance and and all of that's important right that that is how we you know build these relationships that's how we begin to go I'm willing to make decisions based on how I feel because we do have that like overwhelming but then I think if if it's going to last longer than a day or a season, you know, it's going to require more than just like full on, you know, starry eyed, everything is great, you know, kind of energy. And so, yeah, I mean, it's I want to learn more and I am learning more about the history. I'm learning more about the politics and you know what I mean? All of that. And I love that. I, I, I think that is that to me is what love is. It, it, it's a movement toward the truth. Of who we are and who we are to each other, and um, I am not grateful for the pandemic. <laughs> but one of the hard-won gems of the last year is that, you know, the circumstances did kind of slow me down a little bit, and in, in a way that I think um, I am able to pay a little bit more attention when I'm moving through either my neighborhood or maybe just through the world. I feel like I'm I'm moving a slightly slower clip <laughs> than I was before. And I think one of the good things about that is I think I'm having time to kind of, either it's like notice the trees or like notice the question that I, I don't think I was always um, quite so attuned to before when I was moving at just like kind of full on breakneck speed.
0: Said, it was a pleasure to talk to you as always. And I hope now that it's, uh... Now that it's our season of warmth and trees, we can find some time to to together.
1: I would love that. It's always a joy. But yeah, I can't wait to just hang out and vibe, friend. (laughs) No doubt. Thank you.
0: At the end of every episode, I'll take some time to talk about one of my small joys, music I'm listening to, art that I've seen, or some aspect of life here in Columbus that I treasure, and I will say that lately I've been going to the Franklin Park Conservatory and just wandering. And the conservatory is kind of a nostalgic spot for me. Anyone, I think, who grew up in Columbus and is of my particular age range perhaps might remember Ameriflora, which was um, there are things in Columbus that I believe are essential essential field trips for young folks, particularly middle and elementary school kids, things that are almost just built for the field trip experience. COSI, and I'm talking, for me, the old COSI that was kind of in the center of Broad Street. Um, And another one of those things was Ameriflora. So my first engagement and interaction with the Franklin Park Conservatory was this sprawling, massive flower display uh, on the outside of it. And now I live close enough to Franklin Park to walk to it on a nice day. And I've I've been getting out of my house and walking and sometimes I'll just pop into the conservatory because there's a very specific joyful silence, I think, to being encased in the conservatory where it's almost like you're only hearing what they want you to hear. You know, the small sounds of the outdoors or the sounds of leaves rustling or the flapping of butterfly wings. These kind of things that I'm just not attuned to in my everyday life because there's so much noise elsewhere that I have to tend to. And so the Franklin Park Conservatory has kind of been the thing that got me through the late spring and has kind of shuttled me into the now early summer. And it's also been kind of a way to have a touchstone to this past version of myself who looked upon Franklin Park with so much wonder Enjoy. I mean, it was a place that for me was only a field trip place. Never went unless I was on a field trip uh, for school. And now I can kind of access it in this way that feels distinctly adult. And it is um, something, I think, that has, one, gotten me out of the house in a time when I'm still weirdly tentative about getting out of the house. But two, and more importantly, it's a thing that has readjusted my relationship with the difference between quiet and silence. Small Joys is a production of WOSU Public Media. The show was produced and edited by Michael DeBonis, sound engineering by Eric French, Nick Hauser is the Chief Content Director of Digital Media, and I want to thank Saeed again for joining us and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, help us spread the word. Tell your friends, rate the show, and write a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice.